Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For a fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, 6 educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including the ones from the past five years, on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Private Tasting Salon Sour Ales from the Distant Land of Indiana Upland Brewing shows off some of their sour beers and discusses techniques used to produce them. How's everybody doing? Welcome. Thank you so much for coming to Savor. Thanks for coming to the salon. This is Sour Ales from the distant land of Indiana. My name is Spencer. I'm the Spencer Paulson. I'm the marketing coordinator at the Brewers Association. Here to give a quick intro here to our friends from Upland. Um, Want to just start by saying that Savor is brought to you by the Brewers Association. Brewers Association also puts on the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado, which is Highly recommended for all of you if you can make it out some year. And um, in addition to that, the Brewers Association is also the publisher of craftbeer.com, which is a great website for beer enthusiasts of all experience levels. Recommend you checking that out as well. Very, very grateful for our supporters that help make Saver possible, um, especially thanks to our host supporter, which is Ray's Beverage Group. And um, also want to let you know that all of these um, salons that are happening tonight and tomorrow night at Saver are going to be available on craftbeerradio.com for you to listen to at your computer at home. So once the event's over, feel free to check that out, listen to this or any of the other salons that are happening this weekend. And then so most importantly, I'm very pleased to introduce uh, two fantastic guys here in the beer community. We've got Seth Elgar. He's the executive chef for Upland Brewing Company. Seth's a supporter of the slow food movement, which is a uh, movement that focuses on local products, the types of things you find at your farmer's market, that sort of thing. He's got 15 years of food service experience, and with that experience, he's um, very involved at Upland with beer tastings, menu pairings, and lots of thoughtful seasonal offerings that they offer at their restaurant. And second, I'm happy to introduce Caleb Staten who is the head brewer for Upland Brewing Company. He's been the head brewer, since, head brewer since 2006. Clearly has some fans in the audience. Um, Caleb's also been at Upland since 2004. And in 2004, he also graduated from the UC Davis Master Brewers program as well. He began, um, he began dabbling with the barrel-aged program at Upland, the barrel-aged sour beer program in 2006. It all kind of started when he traded a local winery uh, Four cases of beer for two 
70 gallon white oak wine barrels. I'm not sure who ended up, probably you guys ended up on the winning side of that, I'd say, because nowadays you have 200 uh, wine and bourbon barrels to use for the sour beer program, which is pretty incredible. So tonight, you're gonna be able to sample a wide variety of these different sour ales that are produced through this program, and Caleb and Seth are gonna talk to you all about it. So give a warm welcome to these two guys from Upland. Thank you guys. Um, not sure how we start to bring beers out, but uh, I'll just give a background on Upland itself. Um, Upland opened in 1998. We're located in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, home to IU. Um, so if you've ever seen the movie Breaking Away, that's all we do is jump around into quarries and ride bicycles and uh, throw chairs on a basketball court floor. So. Um, but it's home to Indiana University. Uh, pretty diverse town for uh, Indiana in general. We're kind of down in the hilly regions down in southern Indiana. So uh, myself, I'm from Muncie, Indiana originally. So uh, you could roll a bowling ball from one side of the county to the other without any slope or drop to it. So uh, uh, unless you had a corn stalk on the way. Um, but uh, down southern Indiana, there's a little more uh, oh, kind of artisanal side of uh, Indiana. Bloomington, Nashville, some of those areas down there. And that's really where our name comes from. So uh, it's kind of the geological regions down there. And so we're Upland. Um, so as far as uh, what Seth does, um, you know, we also run a restaurant at our production location. Um, and we're very focused on using local uh, food as much as possible. So if you want to talk about sure. some of the farmers and growers that you work with. Uh, one thing that I brought with me today, and, and you folks are welcome to grab one of these. Uh, we, we brought them. You can take them with you, whatever. Um, edible Indie. I don't know if anyone has edible in their communities. Uh, we were just focused uh, on this article recently. Uh, I use over a dozen different farmers at Upland. Um, because we do a lot of really fresh beers and, and people come to the tap room to try these things while they're good and fresh on tap. Uh, we try to make sure that the, the food that we have, that we offer, that we pair with that uh, matches that. I feel like a lot of uh, brew pubs in particular um, are kind of looked down upon in a culinary standpoint because it's always more about the beer than it is about the food. And if you've ever been to Bloomington, Indiana, uh, you'll know that that is not the case with this town. Uh, there are almost 80 restaurants in the just in the city limits themselves. We're a very food uh, and hospitality focused uh, part of the state. A lot of business coming from Indianapolis uh, just to see what we've got going on down there. So we have to really step things up and, and really bring our A game when it comes to the food. And, and luckily, uh, we've got a partner in the brewery that really brings uh, awesome quality product to, to pair against that. And we've got a really strong clientele who love what we do and are very, very uh, strong advocates for what we do, and I'm hoping that what you folks get out of this tonight is kind of a, a taste of the terroir that is uh, Upland and, and that is South Central Indiana. Uh, two of the cheeses that you're gonna have tonight are actually from Indiana. We made sure that you get to taste a little bit of what we serve uh, there at the brewery. And uh, cheese is coming your way here, and uh, if you wanna start talking about the first beer, uh, we'll get into pairings. Um, the first beer tonight is uh, our our sour reserve so kind of a background on our program uh, we started with the uh, uh, with the four barrels um, that we
we got from Oliver Winery, which is a, actually a pretty large winery, um, maybe two miles away from Upland. So uh, we traded them those cases of beer for uh, their white oak barrels that are made uh, originally in uh, Ohio. Um, and the last thing that was in those barrels was a dark red wine that they do. So um, what we're getting is relatively neutral barrel. Um, but we do pick up some of the aspects of that previous wine, as well as a little bit of that residual, uh, where there was some kind of oak or tanniny, uh, vanillin type character left in that, in that barrel. So, um, so 2006, we started with four barrels, and we slowly amassed and accumulated more and more, kept doing batches, and usually it was about 12 barrels at a time. We would fill off of one master batch of uh, uh, Lambic style base beer that um, after that, they age at least eight months um, before they really show good signs that they're souring. So it takes that much time for the real lactic and acetic acid characters um, to really develop over time. And uh, uh, so it's a fermentation involving Britannomyces, uh, which is wild yeast, uh, lactobacillus, and, um, and uh, regular Saccharomyces and some sherry yeast is actually so um, it just takes a long amount of time for them to be kind of to taste where we feel like they're ready to be fruited. So at that point, we're usually fruiting our lambics. It's about five pounds per gallon that we fruit our lambics, um, our lambic style beers. Um, and we've got seven that we do now on a regular basis, well, irregular basis, um, from raspberry, strawberry, cherry, Kiwi, um, persimmon, which is a locally kind of grown uh, Indiana crop, um, kind of wild, kind of grows wild. And uh, we actually have a guy we pay, heads out to these persimmon orchards, which are usually just someone's field in their backyard, wax on them with a sledgehammer and picks up all the persimmons and we add it to our beer. So it actually turns out really well. It's uh, one of the neater things we do, because it's local fruit, like a county away. Um, generally, it's we pay this guy about $5 a pound, but it's uh, free stuff. We actually went out there and grabbed it. So. so, Sour Reserve. This is our second blend of this beer. The first, the first round we released was actually some of that original batch we did in 2006. Another one we started in 2008, and a little bit from 2010. So we had... Uh, three uh, different batches of our, our base beer that we blended together uh, by taste, really in the lab. We'd selected out in the barrels, um, kind of mixed them all together. We're, you know, we're playing around, trying to see what we really wanted to bang out of the park. And uh, luckily that 2006 batch, that inaugural batch, really made that, that first blend very special. Um, this one is actually... Uh, three different barrels from our, no, two different barrels from our 2008 series. So, um, and as we stack these barrels, they're all stacked up, you know, um, you know, two, 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 and they're usually, you know, six barrels on a row. Um, and this was like the bottom left barrel and the top right barrel of this one batch. And uh, the rest of them really weren't working together, except each barrel now is different. So. This is from 2008, so um, they're just aging differently. It may be the heat variation, the way they're stacked, um, you know, but 
We selected them by how they taste. So um, this is really a good example of uh, the base of what we use. And this is kind of a selected base. And uh, generally, this is what we ultimately would add fruit to on some of our other uh, uh, batches. Fruit re-ferments for about three months. And then you end up with uh, our kind of fruited, our fruited lambic styles, which we'll bring out here uh, after this one. So um, I'm thirsty now. So. Uh, I'm not going to keep you folks from the beer, and I'm going to tell you which cheese you're supposed to be eating with this. Uh, you've got an aged Gouda uh, from Fair Oaks Farm, which is north of Purdue University, which is uh, Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, the yellow rinded cheese, the, the orange edge to it, this is what we've paired with this. Um, if you really get into the nose of this beer, you get some really deep, like wonderful woody like it's not quite barnyard it's more like aged forest notes and what i really love as a as a cook and and just as a a, a foodie by nature is the complexity of sour beers and what they bring to food um, i think that sour beers are the closest thing within the beer community to being a wine snob uh, when you really nail and, and understand a sour beer uh, from the culinary end of things you have to bring the absolute best that you've got to, to pair to make sure that, that that's being showcased. And everything that you eat against uh, a beer like this is going to make that beer taste completely different. Uh, Fair Oaks Farm is the largest creamery in the state of Indiana. They sell milk, yogurt, cheese, you name it. If it can be made from milk, uh, they do it. This, uh, this particular Gouda uh, has won a lot of awards in the Midwest, and, and like I say, the, the fat content to it and uh, the acidity of this beer, I happen to believe pair really well and uh, this is one of my favorite beers that we make I, I hope you folks are enjoying this and uh, by all means dig right in and if you guys have questions at any point just just shout yeah uh, cherries we, we um, use Michigan cherries so they're red they're a red cherry so so we try to when we can we try to get as close as we can uh, to where we're at. Um, yeah, kiwi a little harder to do. So we, you know, we we we've been using uh, I, I think they're South South American kiwi, um, but some things raspberries um, and actually uh, there's the Huber Orchard uh, Starlight Winery and Distillery down in Southern Indiana. Uh, they're in the Knobs region. If you guys have ever heard of that before, um, they're up on a hill, so they've got. I mean, these knobs almost look like green gumdrops, I mean, dropped upon the earth. It's a pretty neat uh, physical land feature down there in southern Indiana. Um, it's almost on the uh, Ohio River. Um, but Ted, Huber, and those guys, they run this big orchard up on the, up on the hill there. And they, uh, they grow grapes, which I can never get grapes out of them because they're, they're too big about making their wine out of their grapes. But, uh, but they grow peaches, which we've gotten peaches from them. Um, and uh, they do grow some red raspberries and black uh, uh, blackberries. So uh, when we can, when it's like right on the season, right when they're picking, we've got one of these picked out, ready to be fruited. We use them. So um, so sometimes we have a little seasonality about this beer that uh, we should really try to match up. Um, persimmon, we're actually kind of collecting persimmons like constantly. So we've got all this frozen persimmon at the brewery. Um, so we let it ripen and then we freeze it. Um, and we're just waiting and waiting until we 
get another get another couple barrels ready to go, get those persimmons in there. So we're actually about a harvest ahead on our persimmons, and uh, um, that one's a oh man, it's about as local as it gets when it's a local wineries barrel, and you're using a, a local fruit that basically grows wild. So and uh, and the beer turned out really well too. So pretty awesome, uh, just natural slam dunk for us. And we didn't, you know, sometimes. It, our classic motto at Oakland, you know, is work harder, not smarter, and that's the opposite of that. So, um, so yeah, what do you guys think about the pairing? Um, Sheer luck. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, I, you know, this is one of those things like we dabbled in this, and uh, I think we just try to do the best practices possible when we started this program, and we've just continued to do so. Um, we were really rigorous about cleaning our barrels and, and things like that. That I, I think is just as heightened of a sanitation issue as uh, uh, all of our pure Saccharomyces beers that we're doing. Um, and there is a lot of fear about doing these types of beers in your in your breweries, so we've tried to keep all that separate. You may have uh, been to a talk with Vinny at Russian River. We we keep parts separate. Uh, this beer never touches a tank that our other beers are doing. So um, huge separation and uh, general paranoia about uh, even having bottles of these beers behind a fermenter because we were afraid maybe it'll tip over, and break, and everyone will start crying. So. We're just, we just really watch what we're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's uh, lactic acid. Um, if, you, if any of you guys have done like uh, anaerobic cardio, like heavy swimming or running, that's kind of the more uh, tangy type acid you'll get kind of in the lining of your mouth when you're really working hard. Um, that's really basically what lactic acid tastes like. Um, acetic is a little more harsh. It's a main component of vinegar. So um, this has a little bit of both of that uh, interacting in it. So, um, and uh, it, it is, it's kind of a matter, matter of balance. I have some barrels that are heavy acetic and uh, I'm almost kind of like, I, these are probably getting close to vinegar, um, but you know, we're holding them because we're gonna kind of see if we can blend those down into future batches. So. Um, and I've also had some barrels just purely not turn out at all that, that are marked for uh, going down the drain eventually. So, so uh, Memorial Day weekend, a, about an hour north of Charleston, there was incredible pollution from the state. When do you guys see some of that coming back into the state? Or do you see a penetration level of salad? Yeah, and no, you, you know, we're not doing uh, spontaneous fermentation, so I'll, I'll get that out of the gate. And really, we should not be uh, labeling our stuff Lambics. We, we kind of did it naively. Um, and uh, one day, I'm sure a, a Belgian guy or one of the... Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a Belgian guy that kicks me in the face at one of these festivals. Like, you know, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we're working on renaming it. I don't know what it's going to be yet. We, Toss out like Uplandic, I don't know, you know, try, trying to do something, you know. And, and every release we've had after this, you know, Sour Reserve, we, it's, 
kind of a guza in nature, but we don't call it that. I mean, we, we call it a blend of our right. of our base beers. Um, We, we actually did our first inaugural uh, Sour Wild Funk Fest in Indianapolis uh, earlier this year, and that's uh, in the aims of get, getting a sour-focused uh, event going. Avery does one out here uh, in Colorado. Not out here. Where am I? Washington? Um, yeah, yeah. Avery does one, and they've done one for several years in a row now where it's, it's all sour ales, and we participated in that in the past couple years. Um, that, that event always has a big box of uh, Tums at the end of the table because uh, <laughs> by the end of it, these, these really start getting to you. So uh, um, but that's, a, that's an excellent event where you can really try. Uh, and uh, what, what I call this type of brewing is kind of a, you know, we had the big hop, uh, hop-centered kind of focus boom for a little while. And this is kind of maybe the new, new newest thing, the new ni uh, niche within a niche is what I call it. So. Kind of craft beer in general is already a small part of the market, and this is like the really fun specialty side projects that everybody's getting into. So. And I, I would say that what you were talking about earlier with regards to blending one barrel to another and, and trying to achieve a certain profile, it's more akin to uh, blended scotch at that point too, where you're trying to, to take what has spontaneously happened within these barrels and come up with this amazing profile that couldn't have happened in any of those particular barrels. And, and the, the beautiful thing going forward is that this project is going to differ slightly, but the people who are, are uh, well-versed in it and the people who are collecting this product are gonna understand the product really well because the people that you interact with, all, all you that are here right now, uh, are here because you like sour beers or that you are incredibly interested in sour beers and want to know more about them. And that in and of itself is, is a, a beautiful thing and shows that you have the, uh, the ability to collect and, and to understand the, the differences from one batch to another and not every single beer drinker has that. And I think that leading to what Caleb was saying, like a, a niche within a niche, this can be that. This can be... Uh, something fun that varies from year to year, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. How often do you sample the barrels and do you sample all of them? Uh, we don't sample all of them in one fell swoop. Usually, we, we do have specific batches. Um, now, all the barrels within those batch sets, usually there's 12 barrels per batch set. Um, they do vary. Um, but not in a really great degree. I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like going to the library and you know you're in the fiction section. So um, even though that book's about aliens and that one's about zombies, or I, that's a terrible analogy. Anyway, um, so, you know, we, we just go through, find the row we're in. Usually we select one barrel take a sample, head up to the lab, and then we kind of do this. We do this maybe every month, really. Um, get them all laid out, take really good tasting notes for them, log them, and then it's kind of, you get smiley face, you get face, and you get frowny face, or even, you know, kind of, no way, Jose, this, this, this thing's done. Yeah, we're, we're going to get this one out of here eventually. So. It, usually it just hasn't got there yet, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, I've got one whole actually row that, uh, 
gosh, from 2008. It didn't do anything until uh, maybe three months ago. I, just like on the turn of a dime, it's all of a sudden uh, the pH dropped on it. We check that all the time. Um, and it was almost just like overnight, pH dropped on it. Um, uh, all that character had been developed, but prior to that, it was just kind of like, just kind of tasted, you know, thin, nothing really going on on it. And, uh, it's, it was pretty neat. Uh, yeah, it's just sometimes they develop suddenly. So, and uh, they also be, can become sick. That's another thing that's, that's talked about. So they can kind of have kind of unpleasant amounts and they're kind of in a, you know, a dormancy. So you got to wait on those barrels. So it's a, it's a very uh, different way of brewing. I mean, we're, you know, our flagship beer, Upland Wheat, is almost two weeks. Uh, set your watch to it for a malt bottle. Uh, these lambics, uh, lambic style beers, we do uh, 13 months at the fastest, you know. And then I've got stuff from 2008, just all in my uh, barrel room, and it's just not ready yet. So, um, and so it's just a selective process. You know, we think it's ready, we we draw it out. So, uh, we have a uh, um, our barrel aging cellar. Um, which is a uh, pole barn next to our building um, that is temperature controlled. So um, it's set. It's set about 65 degrees. We're not talking about super uh, central heating here. So we do let it kind of it fluctuates throughout the year. So uh, in the winter it gets drops a little below that. In the summer it can get kind of up into the 70s or higher. So. Um, We've got a little bit of variability, but they're all hanging out in the same area. So we have a temperature program. I don't know that it's really been logged out exactly what we have, but we do know throughout the year we've got pretty much the same expectations. And uh, I've actually gotten in there and someone had monkeyed with the thermostat. And, oh, we know we know what these have been set to for a long time. Let's just keep it that way. No, no comfort in here. We, it's just how it is. So. Um, and then again, like I think some of the barrels on the top, you got some heat variability between those and the bottom ones. And uh, yeah, we've, we've seen that, like in just how the top ones don't taste the same as the bottom ones sometimes. So, yeah. yeah, we haven't been going around with our uh, um, microbe catcher to see what's flying around our brewery. and. Uh, um, yeah, so not yet. Um, may, maybe one of these days we'll, we'll dabble on the spontaneous side in some select batch. Um, a lot of it, there's a lot still to do with our, our program already, so we, we kind of kind of keep kick, kicking that down the road. But uh, uh, Upland is actually moving into a new facility. Uh, I've, we've got a new brew house showing up next Tuesday, so this is kind of the calm before the storm for us. And uh, um, once that happens, we're going to dedicate our original location to sour brewing, period. So our facilities will be completely separated then. Um, yeah, yeah, and we, we'll have a little more room, but he needs room to make more food and seat diners, and we, we, have, we still have to go through negotiations on that. Uh, yeah, actually yeah. just made homemade queso fresco uh, for the taste of Bloomington. So, yeah, we're, we're on that as well. <laughs> You want to move on to the uh, second beer? Right yeah, yeah, beer. we're holding that up. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you want to introduce the next beer? What's next, blackberry or raspberry? 
Let's uh, let's go Blackberry, and then we'll save the raspberry for last. Blackberry's going with our H cheddar. No, Blackberry's with the Chev. With the Chev. Yeah. Okay. This is Capriol. Yep. Uh, before he talks about the beer, I'll give you a little intro on this cheese that you folks are going to be getting into next. Uh, this is the second Indiana cheese that you folks are going to try. This is from Capriol Farms. Some of you may be familiar with this. They are a, a very well-known goat cheese producer, uh, almost down into Kentucky. Uh, Judy Shad is a wonderful, wonderful lady, and if you ever get the chance to visit her, you will probably wind up being family with her. That's just the kind of person she is. Uh, she takes interns from around the world that learn to come make goat cheese her way because she does it so well. Uh, a lot of goat cheese producers will skim their milk and take the cream and sell it to another producer to make their operation more profitable. And I think Judy would rather take a bullet than do that. Like, she just has a lot of respect for the product that she turns out. And what you folks are going to try here, this is the, the soft white cheese on the cracker. Um... This particular chev uh, has a beautiful acidity to it. It's got a very light, almost citrus note to it, and it's very creamy. It's a wonderful, wonderful cheese, and it's going to uh, soften out some of the, the profile of this blackberry lambic that you're going to get into. Uh, so I'm going to let Caleb introduce the beer and let you folks get to trying this stuff. Um. Looks like the Sour Reserve again. Is he starting you guys back off from the beginning? So that, this is a, our blackberry lambic. Um, so I think these blackberries, these were Ohio, I believe. So um, pretty close by. And what we use is whole, we use whole fruit on these beers. So, so we add whole fruit in the barrel itself. Um, so really all this rich color. Um, when you get a good foam on it, uh, the the hue to that is usually really representative of what fruit we've added to these. So, um, <clears throat> as far as some of the other ingredients and in what we're doing, um, we conduct a turbid mash, um, which we use unmalted wheat as part of our malt bill. That's mashed in with a portion of our pale ale malt. Um, it's brought to a boil, so we, we actually boil the unmalted wheat, um, and we actively kind of stir the mash at that point. Um, then we mash the rest of our malt on top of that and uh, draw it off, lauder it into our kettle. Um, this is kind of uh, our, our Americanized uh, mashing program that uh, trying to replicate kind of what the Belgians do. So. Um, Really what it kind of provides is a good dextrin kind of content, a good appetite smorgasbord for Britannomyces uh, uh, and some of these other uh, organisms we have in there to really chew away on uh, 
these bigger uh, starch structures so that they can really do a lot of what they do. So, um, uh, Brutanomyces actually will super attenuate versus Saccharomyces. So, um, the final gravities of these beers are very low generally. Uh, the pH is way lower than uh, um, uh, beer as well. So, you know, most most regular ales, lagers, 4.2. Uh, our lambics get down into the low threes. So, um, pretty uh, pretty acidic uh, beer. Um, so after that, we start our kettle boil, and uh, we use uh, old hops. So these are aged, like three-year-old hops. Uh, they're real cheesy, um, kind of stinky hops. Um, and really what we're trying to do is uh, um, some of the microorganisms involved in the fermentation are hop sensitive. So um, hops are antimicrobial in nature already, so you're trying to use old hops that have kind of lost those properties that would uh, beat these microorganisms up uh, or uh, keep them at bay. So um, we use these older hops. Uh, we do a long kettle boil and a lot of that is to uh, uh, old hops also have uh, a lot of isovaleric uh, acid content, which uh, is cheesy. It's, it's kind of stinky cheesy and uh, try not for that to be a component of the final beer if we can avoid it. So. Um, then after that, we uh, cool it down in our heat exchanger, get our bugs involved, um, split it all off into our uh, oak barrels, and then it's a waiting, waiting game after that. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, kind of what, what we're doing, um, kind of from malt to uh, barrel at our brewery. Uh, it's a good story. Um, during the hop crisis, um, which it wasn't that big of a deal, but uh, you know, we we panicked and we're getting hops from everywhere, and we uh, we just ended up with these uh, what are called Haller Tower Select, um, and they were like one and a half percent alpha acid hops, and they'd already been aged like two years, so we ended up already just having uh, uh, old hops, and we still have boxes of it. Their pellets, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're still using. Uh, they're probably five years old at this point, but we've kept them. We've kept them frozen the whole time, and so they they do what they do. It's gonna be sad the day I have to go hunting for three-year-old hops, and people are gonna be like, "Why do you? Why do you want three-year-old hops?" It's like, yeah, we need them. We need them. So I hope you folks are noticing the the acid within this beer kind of mimics the acid in the cheese. I wasn't trying to pair against this because I want you folks to be able to taste both of these things. Um, this is one of my favorite cheeses, and it's why I always have it on the menu of any restaurant I work in, is so that I can eat it. Because um, li li life without it isn't really worth living. Um, I really, really enjoy this beer. I think that this, of the, of the darker Lambics that we do, this one is so incredibly approachable. And I think it's a great intro to a, a very authentic style of beer for people who aren't necessarily familiar with it. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed that pairing. Yeah, what do you guys think? Do you like it? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, we can... Uh, 
We could write it down for you. Yeah. And uh, Capriola uh, is awesome too. So if you guys ever, they will mail it to your door seven days a week. Yeah. That, that's how much love they have. They will they will send it to you, and they, they do. They make a wasabi. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. That actually in the state of Indiana is not legal. Sorry. Uh, with regards to uh, the. The product we've had here tonight, by all means, we can get you that information. And uh, they're actually recording what we're saying, so this po uh, will be available to download and listen to uh, again later as well. But uh, the Capriole Farm, they do fantastic things with goat cheese. They do over a dozen different styles of goat cheese. Uh, they actually have one that's got uh, chocolate and hazelnuts uh, in it. They do uh, a really beautiful uh, aged goat cheese that's called the Wabash Cannonball, and it is literally like a, a three-ounce ball uh, that gets very Brie-esque on the outside. It's got a very soft rind, and when you buy it, it's a very tight sphere. And if you have any patience, just like good beer, you let it sit for a while, and it starts losing its shape, and you start worrying about it, and then it just ruptures everywhere, and that's when it's the best. Um, <laughs> If you have that kind of patience, uh, she does some beautiful things. Uh, she has another cheese called Sofia that is dusted with uh, Spanish paprika, and it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you get the opportunity, I would highly recommend uh, ordering some product from her because it's, I, I think, one of the best things that comes from our state. Uh, it's selected barrels, so. Um, yeah, we're we're. Yeah, we're 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 selecting these barrels, and then they get fruited. Um, and they're various barrels. We actually select the barrels, fruit them. And then we blend all those back into one main batch that's bottled, so. Um, Laboriously hand bottled. Yeah, it's, this is all, all hand bottled on a uh, wine filler, gravity filler, um, you know. Uh, yeah, our, our bottling line setup for this is, is pretty interesting. We have a large mixing tank, so. Um, Got, uh, we get all our barrels out after they've been fruited. We actually cool them down in our cooler before we bottle. Um, we've got these bulldogs, so we ram this stick into the top of the barrel, get the barrel pressurized. Uh, the liquid comes out and goes into our mix tank, um, which has a little stainless steel paddle on it, motor mounted uh, loosely <laughs> on the top of the vessel. Um, and that paddle will slowly mix, and we add our priming sugar and a little bit more yeast. This is actually our Belgian whip beer yeast um, um, for the priming. And then we pick up our mixed tank on our forklift, so it will gravity feed <laughs> into our wine filler. And uh, we do this through a strainer now. This is some of the things we've learned over time. We used to not use this strainer. It would catch any remaining fruit particles. Um, so now we have kind of a little more, uh, it was kind of rustic and neat to find uh, big berries of raspberry kind of floating around in our beer, but uh, I, I think we've kind of, uh, it, we've just kind of refined what we've been doing over the years.
years. Um, so, um, if we want to, how, how are you guys? Are you want to start on the next one? Yeah. Well, why we have the mixed tank is um, our first batch of kiwi lambic. This is kind of the learning curve and uh, perils of uh, working with barrels. Um, yeah, kiwi got jammed in our barrel, uh, our bulldog. Pressure kept building in the barrel. And uh, so about the same time, my guy hollers over me, man, these, these are filling really slow now. You know, we used to just, we used to jam it right into the barrel and hook it up to our gravity filler. So we're basically creating a bright tank out of our barrel that's pushing all the beer into the, the feed bowl. Um, real numb nut stuff, like, and uh, so guys, it's starting to slow down. I'm not getting as many made per minute, you know, this and this, and uh, about two seconds later, it's just boom, you know, like cannon blast. Um, head of the barrel, uh, it's boom, and then it's sploosh, and then, um, so I turn around, uh, one of the guys that was packaging, he's on the floor, uh, T-shirt looks like he just got back from an Anthrax concert, you know, just, just shredded. Um, and kiwis all over the place, like uh, like everywhere. So, yeah, we don't do, we don't we don't uh, package our beer that way anymore. <laughs> so he he's okay. We checked him out, but uh, yeah. He Kiwi still actually comes to the brewery and considers us friends after that. It was bad, too, because I think we only ended up with 40 bottles of kiwi that year, and uh, it was like, yeah, it just made it super, super rare. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of a fun side story. I don't know. No, no one got hurt. Exactly. It's had a lot of kiwis they had to pick up. So next we're going to move on to the raspberry. Um, with the raspberry, you folks are going to have this aged white cheddar. Uh, for me in particular, um, I, I love this raspberry lambic. Uh, it has a really, really great barnyard flavor. If you're a fan of cheeses, you're really going to like this lambic. Uh, unlike the blackberry, which has a little bit higher sugar content, the raspberries are definitely a little brighter in flavor, and you're really going to get a lot of acidity from this beer. It, it has a, a bright, dry edge uh, akin to, a, a, I would describe it as like a Spanish cava. Um, I really think that this beer pairs just like a, a wine would. The, uh, the fruit content on it is so floral. Uh, it's got a great bouquet to it. And this one carries the, the flavor of the fruit really well. So going up against a nice, grassy, uh, aged East Coast white cheddar, uh, you folks should find this to be a really nice pairing. And... Uh, I'm going to let you get to that while Caleb tells you a little bit more about the beer. Um, this, this actually would be the same base beer uh, that we added raspberries to instead of blackberries. So um, really in a lot of ways, you know, the base beer has already been selected. But uh, it's really a big, big part of the fruit contributes a lot to lots of these beers too. So I hope you can kind of encapsulate in your mind what we started with, which is an unfruited version of this, kind of, you know, what it would taste like, you know, with the blackberry content, and this is more of a, 
this is a raspberry version. So um, each fruit kind of adds its own unique character um, and color. So kiwis, persimmons, they don't add very much color. Um, peach doesn't add a whole lot either. Strawberry actually doesn't add a whole lot of color. Um, but our cherry, blackberry, um, and raspberry you really get these nice, vibrant, rich colors. Um, so uh, that's that's an enjoyable side of this. Is you know, you can't you can't have a you can't make a beer this like kind of red, pinkish. I mean, without without some fruit added to it. So. Uh, for anyone who might have gotten into some other more like baseline uh, American lambics, you'll notice that a lot of the the, the fruited beers that you're trying right now, the uh, a lot of the flavor is in the bouquet, and it's present on the palate, but it's not like it would be in a lot of other uh, beers that are made in this style, and I would attribute that to the fact that we're using whole fruit, and because we're not working with juices or, or pulps or purees, um, the uh, the wonderful thing about this is that you're getting natural flavor. This is not something that, that is being created artificially or not something that is being created with a concentrate. Um, this is just, you know, good natural fruit beer. Um, the uh, the one the one thing that uh, is always kind of interesting when this product, when this process is done, and they empty the barrels. Uh, Caleb was talking about the color. The fruit that comes out, it's a ghostly remnant of what it was before. Like, it's given everything to this beer. Uh, the raspberries come out, and they're this, like, gray, pink color because everything that you want is left in this fluid. Um, for me personally, the, like I say, the, the bouquet, very floral, very, very strong. Um, and as far as our uh, fruit lambics go, this is uh, this is my personal favorite because it is so food friendly. Because half the time they've they've already started to go bad. Uh, they're very open, and yeah, they rot very quickly. Good cheese. What's up? Uh, alcohol content on these varies with the uh, sugar of the fruits that we've added. So, uh, the the base beer uh, for these lambics is um, about four and a half percent. So we like to we like to say that we get maybe a point alcohol more, and that really depends on the fruit. And some of that's the harvest. I mean. Some years you get these really sweet peaches or, um, and just fruits kind of differ by their, the amount of sugar content they have. And uh, I, don't, I don't have the fancy doodads to actually measure it to the ABV. So, no. Unfortunately, one day I will. Um, yeah, I started as a home brewer, so um, uh, I went to Hanover College. It's uh, on the Ohio River in southern Indiana. Um, I have a, a communication degree from there and a chemistry minor. Um, today's the only time I really use a communication degree. So, um, and uh, so out of that, the last job I had before I started at Upland, I was managing a uh, 
drive-in movie theater in Muncie, Indiana. So, and it's closed now. It's sad, but uh, yeah. No, I did. I just kind of like I, that was a job, and uh, you know, it kind of was what it was. But something about drive-ins and uh, learned how to run a projector, and uh, none of that applies to what I'm talking about tonight. But, but anyway, the epiphany that summer was really the. I've been homebrewing for a while. I really like it. Uh, I think I understand it, and uh, had me investigating all, all the different schools out there, whether it was Siebel or uh, uh, Lexington, Alltech. Um, I ended out at Davis, so um, which really just, really just Davis is just a great program for you know giving you all the science background you need to then go get a job, put boots on, and spray things down with the hose all day. So, yeah. Uh, I probably didn't intentionally homebrew anything sour, but yeah. um, I did make a Kiwi IPA while I was a homebrewer, so maybe that kind of transferred over. I don't know. Yeah, I, I rolled into being a professional brewer after that, and um, I still have my, my homebrew pot and hangs out in the brewery. Yeah, we still pick stuff up every so once in a while, and, and we play around. And we have a brand new uh, Sabco Brew Magic. It's kind of the Mercedes of homebrewing kits uh, at our new facility, um, ready to go and ready to be used for uh, a little more piloting and experimentation than uh, we've done in the past. So, um, good good deal of what we do was first generated or piloted by homebrewing. So, um, yeah. The, I mean, the, these beers we're tasting tonight are uh, probably less than 1% of what Upland actually does. So this we get a lot of attention for, but uh, Upland Wheat, our uh, flagship beer, and Dragonfly IPA are about 70% of what we do. So those two beers, and uh, they're just Indiana favorites. I, I kind of snuck it in under the radar. This was actually under previous ownership at Upland, which changed hands uh, actually shortly after I, I snuck these barrels. I really snuck them in. I mean, snuck them in, brewed a batch, filled them up. Yeah, we, we hit them in the back of a room um, and really forgot about them, didn't touch them for, uh, for eight months after that. And we just popped those first barrels open and we're like, we... We got something here. We, we, we were fully expecting we might just dump them and, and try again maybe later or something, but uh, uh, we, I think we found that we, we, did, we did something right. So, um, and after that, I mean, the rest is history. We just kind of keep, keep going along, dabbling with them. So, um, and then the other beers that we do do, kind of the offshoots of this, uh, we do Dantalian. Uh, which was modeled more of kind of the Ode Bruin style. Um, it's uh, not really as sour as uh, uh, Gilgamesh that's even on the floor down there or uh, these beers, but it does have, it's got some sour character to it, but we also add some spices to that beer, and it's, uh, uh, we call it a dark wild ale. And then Gilgamesh, which is on the floor, if you guys haven't tried that, that's more modeled after Flanders style red ales, so it's stronger. Uh, and our twist on that is we've been using the white oak barrels for years now. Um, and we started 
uh, doing some bourbon barrel beers, and our way to not throw those out was to brew this new sour beer. So it's got a second life in these bourbon barrels. So we're we're just getting uh, kind of whatever residual characters in that bourbon barrel and into that beer. So it's not like a huge like boozy bourbon notes. It's whatever kind of kind of oak char vanillins kind of been left in that barrel. So and. Uh, yeah, if you guys got to try that already, I, we, we think it worked out pretty well. So, And we hope to reuse those barrels now that they've been, uh, now that the bugs are in the wood. I mean, uh, that's that's the other part of this is we started with all these base uh, microorganisms that we basically inoculate into these batches, but now all our wood is alive. I mean, so every time we reuse a barrel, we really have to watch uh, what's going on. So it's really, really just year after year, we just kind of keep, refilling these barrels, making more and more, and then really just evaluating them very closely before we package them, so, yeah. Did that answer your question, or did I just go off on a total tangent? <laughs> yeah, I think my grandmother was the one that, uh, yeah, had the most, uh, yeah, but uh, she's over now, and now, now we actually have beer at Easter, which uh, some of those events that uh, nobody brought beer to Easter, Christmas in my family ever. I mean, it didn't happen. And why Davis? Yeah, even though you know Siebel was closer, um, uh, I, d I just felt that you know, in my mind, when I was reading the curriculum and what was involved, I. It, Davis just appealed to me more, um, just just from having the chemistry background that I did. And I don't think it's, you know, I, brew, great brewers come from all cuts of cloth. So um, I've met great Siebel brewers. There, you know, there's great, there's bad Davis brewers out there. I mean, it, it just depends. No, there's not. There's, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't harm my alma mater. No. But it, it, it just really depends. And I think uh, the education, yeah, really just, you know, the passion starts, and then I got the education. Some some folks, they start with the passion. They get into breweries. They work in them a little while, and then they go off to Davis to further their career. It was my way to kind of get my foot in the door into the industry because I really enjoyed it and, and what it meant. So, um, keep enjoying it. I do. I, I love it. So, yeah. and I love you know. Kind of what the other side of what you know Bloomington is, as, as Seth was saying, we've got all these different restaurants. I mean, Bloomington is maybe the only, t I don't know, we got two Tibetan restaurants in town because the Dalai Lama's, uh, is it his brother? Yeah. Lives there. So so we've got two Tibetan restaurants in southern Indiana. It's it's kind of wild. So, you know, that's, that's a good part of what uh, Upland's kind of also developed is... Uh, better respect for the food they were serving in the restaurant as well as the beers they were pairing them with. So yeah, the, 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 the highlight of the menu uh, when they opened was like a burrito or something. So it's it's really changed. You know, you find these old menus and like, what the heck? Everything was fried and they had a burrito and that was like, that like sparkly things around it on the menu. So so we've, we've done leaps and bounds better today. So. Uh, and, and one thing that, that Caleb was saying there was about the, you know, the, the, the cultural diversity uh, in Bloomington, it does feed both ends of what we do. Uh, I have a very uh, ethnically diverse uh, menu, 
and we run some very, very unique specials. Uh, right now at the restaurant, if you were to go back to Bloomington, Indiana, uh, you could order Korean-style short ribs uh, with homemade kimchi that we made, a uh, recipe for which is in the magazine that's up here. Um, we also do like homemade seitan and all kinds of vegetarian and vegan options that a lot of restaurants don't do. And, and that also, I think, is, is uh, reflected in the fact that we're doing these very unique, uh, very esoteric beer styles as well. I mean, we have a, a very broad base of clientele to work with whom uh, have a great deal of respect and understand that that business is not going anywhere and that it's there for their benefit. And they come to us with love, praise, concern, and uh, most of all, dollars, which keeps the thing going. So uh, I think that we have a very... Uh, a very unique environment in which to culture this business and to make it even better than what it is right now. Thank you all for coming in tonight. Uh, if you have any questions that you didn't ask before, uh, you can ask us. And uh, we may be down there at the table still. If you haven't tried Gilgamesh, you need to come do so. Uh, and we also have Teddy Bear Kisses, which is our Imperial Stout. It's aged on uh, fair trade cacao nibs. Uh, so we got some other options down there as well if you haven't tried them yet. Thank you for listening to the Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us in iTunes or go to our website, craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.